said he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those that had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then, all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. <coughs> so he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. What an amazing story. I love, I love what happens here. And the title of the uh, lesson for today, if you like, is How to Be in Your Right Mind. How to be in your right mind. How do we get into our right mind? How do we get to think straight, to think right about our lives and our destiny? Mosagi talked movingly earlier about the way we cope with issues of, all, of our mortality when it becomes obvious to us that we're not going to be here forever. What, is it, what does it mean? Where, where is our future? How to be in our right mind? The demoniac was clearly not in his right mind. He was not even dressed. Uh, we don't, I have no idea what that must have looked like. I don't want to try and picture it too graphically, but here is someone who's not clothed and who lives in tombs and is chained and presumably has cuts and and, and infestations on sores all over him. I mean, this is someone in a lot of trouble. I was trying to think of what a modern demoniac might look like, like this. And I think, seeing as how we're in Watford, I should declare something to all of you, because you didn't already know that, though we are here in Watford, I was born in Luton. And if you know anything about Watford Football Club, there is a significant rivalry between Watford and Luton. In fact, as you walk through Castlebury Park, you will see uh, stickers put on uh, rubbish bins and other things with very derogatory terms about Luton. Well, I did think about bringing my Luton football shirt, because I actually have one, um, but then I thought I might start a riot. And that might be the equivalent of being so foolish, like the demoniac here, as to uh, just being a bit mad. You know, he, he's totally inappropriate in his behavior, and yet he begins there, but he ends with being dressed and in his right mind. I think God's hope for all of us is that wherever we start out in life, however inappropriately dressed or not, wherever our mind is at the beginning of life or earlier stages of life, I think God's hope for us is that we end our lives dressed and in our right mind. Dressed appropriately, spiritually, emotionally, in that sense, and in our right mind. I think that's where God hopes we will end up. So let's talk about a few things from this passage and see what we can that might help us that are here sitting here today. So first of all, and let's talk about where we are, by the way, just uh, physically. Um, so we are in this area, and my point is not working. Never mind, I have a finger. So, Lake Galilee, uh, Jesus and his disciples have crossed over to the area of the Gerasenes, but Gadara is the, the, the 
uh, sort of capital of that area, and there are many ruins still today. I haven't got time to show you today, but lots of ruins still around today. The capital, but the Gergesart, where we're talking about this uh, happening, is on the lake there, and that's where we are. And uh, that's a, uh, the ruins of a 5th century church from that place. Churches were being built there uh, earlier than the 5th century, but those are the earliest ruins we had. And uh, you can see in the background there, Lake Galilee. So here's the 5th century church. There's the lake in the background. So it's a real place. It's not something that someone made up. You know, it exists. Uh, so, <clears throat> in this situation, the man comes to Jesus, a bit of a scary man. Have you ever been approached by someone who just... You know, you wish you could uh, fall through a crack in the floor, or uh, uh, you're just really scared to, to meet them. Uh, I, you probably met someone like that, someone that just scared you. I can't imagine how Jesus didn't run away. I mean, this is someone from whom everybody else was running away. They were trying to chain him, keep him away from everybody else. Jesus has a different reaction, and the man runs up to him. He's been living in tombs. Uh, when it says tombs, it was probably something rather like this. Uh, tombs in those days were often cut into rock, so he's probably living in a cave, amongst other caves and those kinds of tombs. We think of a traditional church, you know, it probably wasn't like that, something more like that. So he's been in the dark, in the caves, and he runs out into the light, he runs and finds Jesus, he runs up to him, uh, he's been chained, shackles round his, <coughs> his ankles, I can't imagine what that would be like, and, uh, around wrists and ankles, and he has some kind of strange strength means he can even break those. I mean, many over the centuries might have been shackled like that. I wish they had the strength to be able to break them. Something so powerful in him, these demons, that mean he's able to break even those. I think some of us, perhaps all of us from time to time, wonder whether we're living in the tombs or whether we're living where we want to be living. Where, where do we belong? Are we, uh, this man, it appears, was homeless. Sometimes we feel homeless. Like we don't know where we belong in life. Sometimes we feel chained, don't we? We feel stuck. I think of the idea of being chained for me is the idea of being trapped, which means I can't change. I'm struggling to change. The things in my life that are problematic seem to be stuck with me forever, as this man with his demons. What the Bible does is it, just, it, it gives a name to those things that trap us, that cause us pain and other people pain. The Bible calls it sin. It's not a very popular word these days. But whatever word we use, there are things that are destructive to us. In this room, and I, I, even as we sit here, amongst the members that I know here today, uh, we could all tell you. We could all tell you long and gruesome stories about the sins that have trapped us and how brave we are that Jesus came to set us free from those. Not, not that we're any better than anybody else, it's just that we've had an encounter. Uh, with Jesus who has the power to set us free. There are people in this room who I won't name, but there are people in this room who struggle with, with greed to the point where it has damaged their relationships with people who love them. There are people in this room who have stolen from charities and committed many thefts. There are people in this room who in the past have given their body to sex in exchange for acceptance and, uh, and affection. There are people in this room who struggle greatly with addiction to drugs and alcohol. There are people in this room who have been involved on the wrong end of the law and have had significant trouble with the police and the courts on a very serious level. There are people in this room who struggle with pornography, who have been liars and mockers and gossips and slanderers and hypocrites, even religious, so-called Christian religious hypocrites. There are people in this
struggled with drunkenness to the point where it's led them to acts for which they now uh, feel great shame. There are people in this room who've been so foolish with money has led them into serious, life-crippling debt. And the list could go on. I mean, that's just us in this room. And a lot of those are mine. <laughs> Probably more than half that many. And you know who you are. I'm not naming names here, but I, I'm not trying to point out anything to anybody personally. But it's just us here. We are no different from anybody else. We, but we've had things in our lives that have caused us great pain, have chained us, trapped us, caused us to have no hope for the future until we met Jesus. It's interesting that the first encounter, or the first um, feeling we get here, as this man comes to Jesus and begs, is he begs um, that he won't be tortured. I find that rather interesting. If he's coming to Jesus, he must know that Jesus is different. Perhaps he understands that Jesus has special power. Why doesn't he say, Jesus, help me? He says, Jesus, don't torture me. I think that implies to me that perhaps other people had tried to help him, but they hadn't been able to help. In fact, they'd made it worse. Maybe he had felt tortured by other people's attempts to help. And sometimes I think that happens to us. We have well-meaning people in our lives that try to help us. Well-meaning, sometimes even Christian-type people who say, I can help you, I'll just pray about it, and it will all change. And then it doesn't. We have, we, we've been given simplistic answers, and they haven't helped us. The danger is that makes us cynical about what Jesus can do. And we're looking at what people have done instead of what Jesus can do. We don't need to be afraid of the kind of change that Jesus brings. <laughs> change is uncomfortable at times, and there is a cost to change, but it still brings something positive. It always brings something positive when Jesus trying to help us to change instead of just us trying to help ourselves or other people trying to help us to change. He's afraid, but he doesn't need to be. He's lonely, but he doesn't need to be. And so he has an encounter with Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he says, uh, they have a conversation, Jesus and the, uh, uh, the demons here, legion, and they say, please don't throw us, don't send us into the abyss. What is the abyss? It, it appears to me from reading around that the abyss is where the demons habitually live. That's their home. That doesn't mean they'll stay there. They're going to pop down there and have a holiday in the abyss or something, come back out and find somebody else to demonize or inhabit. I don't know exactly how that all works. I guess that's something only God really understands. Uh, but they, they don't want to go back to where they were. They'd rather stay in the man. They're having a good time, giving him a hard time. And they said, well, what about the pigs then? If, because they recognize that Jesus has the power to do with them whatever they wish. That's why they know he could send them into the abyss. Jesus has ultimate power. What about the pigs? And I don't know about you, but I always find this a little bit puzzling and a little bit concerning. We've got lots of animal lovers here in the room. Uh, we've got Garth, who's got uh, virtually a zoo uh, in, in a farm in, in your garden. And uh, we've got people here who are vegetarians and um, you know, care about animals in that sense. Um, and I wish I could be a vegetarian, but uh, bacon is just too nice. Um, and in, in the context, anyway, so interesting. So anyway, uh, what's going on here? And, and I want to stop for a moment and ask you, what do you think is going on? Why, why does Jesus permit them to go into the pigs? Any ideas? I'm interested. <coughs> why does he allow them to go into the pigs? What do you think is going on there? Okay. So, 
there's something else going on there. I don't have all the answers to that. If you're interested, let's talk about it later. But they go into the pigs and um, they rush down the steep uh, sl uh, 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 the cliff. This is the place where they think it happened. This is the 5th century church in the foreground. Those are the, the hills behind. They think the pigs were up there feeding and they rush down there and into the lake that I showed you earlier. So uh, they went down into the lake. Poor old pigs. But uh, I think the focus should not be on the pigs. The focus here is on the man and on the reaction of the man and what happened to him. I think the thing about the man I, 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 I very much admire is that even though he's got demons in him and even though the demons are afraid, the man sticks around with Jesus long enough to be healed. He hangs around long enough to get his healing. The evil spirit seizes the man to harm him, but Jesus touches the man to heal him. The evil spirit causes the man to be chained. Jesus causes men to be set free from what chains them. The evil spirit causes the man to be guarded to keep other people safe. Jesus protects men to keep them safe <coughs> from evil. The evil spirit drove the man into isolation. Jesus loves men into fellowship. I like the picture. Just the man resting against Jesus. Knowing he's come home. Knowing he's safe. Knowing he has nothing else now to fear. That's the picture of what it means to be a Christian. Someone who's come home. Someone who's come to somebody who's always safe. The world around us is not safe. But Jesus is always safe. And we need him to get over the things. To be set free from the things that trap us. We desperately need him. And so we find now that he has peace. And he sits with Jesus and the crowds come out and the crowds, well, surely, you wouldn't you expect the crowds to be rather excited? Look at the power that this man has. We tried to chain the fella. We tried to keep him away from everybody. And we had no real solutions. But look at what Jesus has done. Fantastic, Jesus. And we've got a few other demonics. Can we line them up for you? And we've got some other people you could heal. And in fact, some in the crowd maybe needed some help. Well, the crowd come out and their reaction is rather interesting. They see the man dressed and sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid. Fear is a natural reaction to what we don't understand. And I think for a lot of people, Christianity and what it really means to live like a follower of Jesus Christ is something so strange and odd that it's hard to grasp and, and we can be afraid of. I know when I first started seriously looking into the Bible and what it really meant to be a disciple, it scared me rigid because I thought, gosh, this is a lot of change. A lot of change. Instead of me being master of my own life, now I'm going to surrender that to Jesus. That's a bit scary. There are some things in, the, in being a Christian that are a bit scary, to say the least. But I think if we can understand that what Jesus has in mind for us is better than if we accept that, if we embrace that, well then the fear gets turned into an excitement. The crowd told him to go away. Uh, they uh, begged, I think, is that right? Yeah, he got into the boat and left. They told him, go away. They asked him to leave them. They were overcome with fear. So he says, all right, um, I'll find, and find somebody else to talk to. And so he gets in the boat. And the man <coughs> runs after him and said, I want to come with you. I mean, of course you would, wouldn't you? I mean, after what he's done for you, you'd want to be with him. So he runs after him and says, I want to come. 
And so he leaves Jesus in the boat. Jesus has other things to do, but this man has important things to do, to tell others. In one of the other accounts of this, in one of the other Gospels, it says he went throughout the Decapolis, which is a whole area of ten towns or cities, and told everybody. He says here he went to tell his family, his, heart, his town, but he did more than that. There was a powerful gratitude within him that led him to want to tell as many people as possible what God had done for him. It's an amazing thing. It doesn't mean uh, he didn't have any scars. It doesn't say Jesus healed his scars. I guess he had scars from the chains around his wrists and ankles or wherever they put those chains. I guess he may have had some injuries that were still obvious and evident. It may have been that he'd lost teeth throwing himself around as the demons possessed him, and those teeth may still be missing. I, I don't know. I think there may have still been some scars, and even a Christian carries scars from our days when we were tortured by sin, by the things that controlled us, and not all those scars go, and that can be helpful because it helps us to remember what it's like. It doesn't say he uh, had no future struggles, but the key thing is key thing is that he was at last in his right mind. At last he was in his right mind. He was dressed and in his right mind. I'll finish off by reading a couple of scriptures for us. Uh, you can turn there if you like. It's Galatians 3. It's the first one. Galatians chapter 3. says this, a wonderful description of what it means when we come into God's family. Galatians 3, you're picking it up in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves. with Christ. This man ended up dressed and clothed because of what Christ did for him. When we, when we follow Jesus, when we accept him, when we learn what it means to be a Christian, when we are baptized into Christ, then we are similarly clothed with Christ. And we are now dressed right for this world. And even though the world may not be kind to us, still we are able to handle it. And then secondarily in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us this. Chapter 2, and picking it up in, I mean Romans, that's not helpful. We turn to the right book. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And let's pick it up in verse 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of we don't have time now to unpack all of what that means. But 
someone who is a Christian has the mind of Christ. Our minds have been changed, uh, not in a brainwashing kind of a way, but we've been, our thinking has been realigned and shifted such that we now see the world the way it's meant to be. We now see life the way we're meant to. We now see our place in God's family the way we're meant to, and we have the chance to offer other people uh, that good news. We have the mind of Christ, and we've been clothed with Christ. What a privilege. What would it be like, my friends, if everyone in this world were clothed with Christ? What would the world be like if everyone had the mind of Christ? Imagine a world where everyone that you meet is clothed with Christ. Imagine a world where everybody you meet has the mind of Christ. There would be no people to go on Jeremy Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy would be out there scouring. I'm going to find someone for my show. And he'd look and search and send out researchers. And they'd be like, Jeremy, we can't find anybody. They're all clothed with Christ. They've all got the mind of Christ. No one for his show. Jerry Springer. No one for his shows. The papers would have to print good news. There'd be no bad news to print. You might even find yourself liking politicians. <laughs> it's possible. If all the politicians were clothed with Christ, had the mind of Christ, what a different world this would be. Let's not speculate on which party would win the election. Who you vote for, but just can you imagine all the politicians like that? Can you imagine everybody in your family clothed with Christ? What difference it would make to your relationships. Can you imagine your boss being clothed with Christ? What difference it would make in your working relationships or your team at work? If everybody in your team had the mind of Christ. Every time a customer rang you up and they were clothed with Christ, you'd have a great conversation. I don't know that in this life everybody in the world will be clothed with Christ or will gain the mind of Christ, but I know everybody can. And I know that those of us who have been given that clothing and been given that new mind, if we accept the instruction of Jesus like this man to go and tell, well then more and more people will be clothed with Christ and have the mind of Christ. Whether it's in Watford or throughout Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire and Bucks or wherever we personally live, wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be wonderful to see more people clothed?